The following is a presentation of Broadway Church in Vancouver, British Columbia. For additional media, visit broadwaychurch.com. Uh, it's a privilege to be here, and like Pastor Simon said, I just had the joy of being with the women, the conference in Cedar Springs, and uh, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy getting to know so many of them, along with Jan, and uh, blessed and honored to be speaking God's word to you this morning. It's great to be here. And like he said, uh, my husband and I founded Coastal Church. It'll be 25 ne- years next year, which is hard to believe. Very uh, interesting beginning. Uh, it certainly wasn't because we decided at any point to say, hey, I think we should be pastors downtown Vancouver. In fact, our entire story didn't even include us wanting to be pastors. God certainly has a sense of humor because when I first met my husband, his dad was a pastor of a traditional evangelical church, and when he asked me to marry him, he says, I just want you to know one thing. I will never be a pastor. And I said, that's okay, because I never planned to marry one, let alone be one either, so we're good. And so I think at that time, God was just going, you guys just wait and see what's coming up. And uh, so the the journey has been an interesting one. It certainly has not been boring. And uh, it was, uh, like I said, almost 25 years ago in a hotel with a very small Um, hotel um, breakout room on Robson Street that we began to meet just as a small group, not planning to be a church. It was simply a small group of some believers that happened to live in the west end of Vancouver that we had known. And and we got together and we began to pray and have a Bible study together. That began to grow and it grew to the place where we began a Friday night service for six months. And then in 1994, September 1994, was actually September 11th, we had our first Sunday morning service. And from there on, it's just been a miracle story from one to another to another. Part of the miracle story is the majority of Coastal has always been first-generation Christians, so God has used us to be able to bring the good news to people that possibly never had that in their background, and it has truly been a joy and continues to be a joy for both of us and for us to be able to serve together. We um, not only met at Bible school, we also went back for more training, and we were also ordained together. So it's a very unique scenario that the two of us have been able to live, work, minister side by side, and we still love each other. That's the bonus. After 40 years, we celebrate our 40th wedding anniversary earlier this year. Uh, one of the things that first attracted me to my husband, uh, and he knows this, was his car. He had a hot car, and it was a 68 Firebird, and it was the car that everybody just loved this little car and so I loved it too and when we did go into ministry that was one of the things that we had to release and and uh, we needed money so we sold that car and uh, at some point we said you know it'd be so much fun if we ever could have another car like that and about 10 years ago we purchased one and we did a retracking of our honeymoon this past year on our 40th anniversary and uh, that car means not so much the car being the car it is, but it's it's very special to us because it's considered our date car. We uh, we had to have a place where we said we have 
And we need a getaway where we don't talk about ministry, we don't talk about church, we don't even talk about our kids. Where is that going to be? And it has become the car. So our 68 Firebird is our date car. And so when one of us say to the other person, it's time to go for a ride in the car, we know that that means it's time for a date. And we just need to be together. And I'm convinced that's been one of the things that has um, kept our marriage so vibrant over the years is having those regular dates. But that's not what my message is about. I'm not talking about dating, although I, I could, but I'm not going to. We're going to talk about just keeping the main thing, really the main thing. And in that is all the decisions that we make and the, the plans, the circumstances of life that change constantly. And Ecclesiastes tells us about that, that there's, there's different seasons and different times. But in all of those changes, what are the constants? And how can we hear God's voice in all of that? One of our biggest cries uh, as people and as those of us that are believers is, God, I want to hear your voice. I want to make the right decisions in life. Then when there's two roads to go on, which is the one that is the best road? Which is the one that you're calling me to go on? And that's really what today's message is about. So I trust that this is going to help you. And in order for that to happen, let's, let's pray. God, again, I'm so thankful that we can open your word. Jesus, you're the bread of life, and that's what we want to eat on and feed on this morning. May I just be the vessel of your words that will impact the hearts and the minds and the lives of those that are listening. God, may it bring life. You said it would bring life to those who find them, and that's what we ask for in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's an interesting how we want to uh, follow God's, God's purpose and plans for us, uh, but it is good to note right at the offset that God can never bless the last step of obedience. And God may have spoken to us in the past, and it's time to reflect and say, Lord, is there, have I put a stop on your plan for my life because I didn't obey the last thing you asked me to do? There's something, a, a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 30, and it says this. He says, he's actually, God is speaking, and he said, I need a witness on what I'm going to speak to you as, as my followers. And so I, I'm just going to call heaven and earth as the witnesses. And so he does that in Deuteronomy 30, and then he says, as a witness, I'm going to say this to us as believers. I've set before you life and death blessing and cursing. So he has set this before us. This morning, he has set life and he has set death. Now, that could be physical death, but it can be death of a dream. It can also be a death of uh, a ministry, of you going forward to something, the death of, of, a, of a vision. Um, life, death, blessing, cursing. And just in case we don't know the answer of which one to choose, God continues in the verse and he says, choose life. He lets us know which choice to take. Choose life, he says, because then both you and your seed may live. It means there's going to be a legacy. There's something following you. Your life's purpose doesn't end where you're at right now. When we choose life and we choose blessing, it means there's something going on beyond your days on this earth. And how many of us want that? Of course we do. So part of that is in how do we make these decisions in order to accomplish that. So I'm going to go through five different things this morning on how we can have guidance in living a dedicated life that ultimately not only do we get to live in the blessing, but we also can impact others. So the first one that we're going to start with is godly counsel. And this is really simple. Uh, this is nothing profound, 
this morning. But I trust that as we hear these principles, it'll be like the light will go on. It'll be a confirmation. It will be an affirmation. It'll be maybe even a conviction for you this morning. Godly counsel. In, in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, very interesting verse, the Bible says, he tells us not to walk walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the place of sinners, or sit in the seat of scorners, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And it's very progressive when you think about it, when you meditate on that verse. First of all, just walking in the counsel of the ungodly. What does that mean? Part of our decision-making is who is giving you counsel? Who do you seek counsel from? And I'm going to use the area of a relationship because it's, it's just such a simple illustration. Um, before, we're, uh, before somebody's married and, the, and they're devoted to God and they're believing God for a mate and it just doesn't seem to be happening. And it's, it's, you're believing for a godly mate and then you go to work and your school or your education and people, you hear about other relationships and somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody says, hey, come to this party. There's somebody I really want you to meet. You know that that person, um, you say, well, you know, like, what are they like? Oh, you know, they're great, they're great. You meet them and it's like, yeah, they don't go to church. They're not even sure that they know who God is. It doesn't seem to be a spiritual connection at all. But there's a physical connection. Maybe there's an emotional connection. There might be an intellectual connection, but they don't know God. And so what, what happens? You go to school on the following week, and they say, well, what'd you think? What'd you think about him? And say, well, man, we really seem to hit it off. I know, right? I thought you two would really connect. No godly counsel. And so you see this person again. Meanwhile, there is maybe family members, church, youth, a small group, pastor that you're connected with, and it's up to us to go for the counsel. Ungodly counsel will come a dime a dozen. You'll have that at any point in our life, but we have to seek out godly counsel. And in seeking out godly counsel, often we don't want to do that when we know what their answer is going to be, because the answer would probably be, be careful. Be careful. Don't get too attached. If you're believing for a godly relationship where Jesus can be in the center, just be careful. And so in Psalm 1, where it's talking about walking, now walking in the counsel of the ungodly, and I'm back at school, and it's, like, yeah, I'm still walking along. And then after a while, you can stand in the place of sinners. Now I'm not walking anymore. Now I'm listening. When we stand, we're listening. And now I'm just like, you know what? Yeah, actually... I, I don't know whether I agree with, maybe I don't have to believe for that. And I'm not sure having Jesus in the center of the relationship is the most important thing. Isn't it just more important that we like each other and we have the same interests? Standing in the place of sinners. And then the third one is seated with the scornful. And when you get to that place, you begin to scorn the very things at one time that you adhered to and you believe so strongly in. Godly counsel is so incredibly important in the decisions that we make in life, that we seek out counsel, even if we know that it's going to hurt a bit. It really is for our own good. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. So it's not even just one counselor. It's a multitude of counselors. And those, what are those godly counselors? People of proven character. So the question is, who's in your life? Who do you have in your life right now? Maybe it's a decision in business. Who would give you 
godly counsel into whether or not you should go into partnership with that particular person. Who is it? We all have blind spots, and so there's an importance for us to have fellowship with other believers. The second one is counsel in God's word, which is really the tuning fork for our lives. God's word. The psalmist says this, oh God, hide your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The importance of loving God's word. So important. And you know, when we first come into a relationship with Jesus, I know none of you have ever done this, but there are some, including myself at one point, where I'm like, God, I really need to hear from you. <laughs> oh, okay. Do not be afraid of sudden terror. It's what's going on? What's happening? That wasn't the right verse. I'm going to do it again. And we do it again. And I think, you know, when we're early on in our, in our walk, in our relationship with Jesus, I, I think he, he can honor that. But as time goes on, he expects us to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed to rightly divide the word of truth, that we know what his word is saying. Why? Because there's counsel in his word. And the most important place that God will speak to us are in the words that he's already spoken. We're always looking, okay, I need a word from God. I need a word from God. Well, my recommendation would be read your Bible because that's the first place he's going to speak to us. There's a story about a man who did exactly what I just said, opened up his Bible, and he really wanted to hear from the Lord. So he opened up his Bible, and he came to a verse, and he found it in Matthew chapter 27, verse 5, and it said this, Judas hung himself. He's like, oh, I don't like that one. I'm going to do it again. So he did it again. And the second one was found in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. It said, go do likewise. The third time, he says, ah, this isn't working. John 13, verse 27, whatever you need to do, do quickly. <laughs> Not the best way to find scripture. Not the best way uh, I grew up in a Christian home, and as a result, I actually thought, as a child, I thought that just automatically made me a Christian, like it was just like an auto. You're in. You go to church every Sunday, that must mean that you're a Christian. So uh, I was about 11 years old, and there was a church camp that came, it came up, and, and a couple of my friends, we were going to church camp, and there was a friend of ours that we went to school with, and to her, unfortunately, her parents had just gone through a very uh, difficult divorce, and, and she was taking it very hard and so we decided to ask Lisa to come with us which she came the last night of the camp we were sitting around the campfire cross-legged and we were listening to our counselor and she began to share how Jesus came and how he died for us and that when we would open up our our heart's door he would be standing at the door and knocking and the the door of our heart and he would knock and it was up to us to open the door and allow him to come in and he would come in and dine with us and he would be the friend that would never leave us and i noticed beside of me lisa was crying and then the council said all you need to do is pray this prayer ask him to come into your heart after lisa finished praying she looked over at me and she said this first thing why didn't you tell me? Well, the truth is, the reason I didn't tell her is because I didn't realize it myself. I ran back to my, my cabin, jumped on my bed, and I said, Jesus, I don't think I've ever done this. I don't think I've ever asked you into my heart. I don't think I ever realized until tonight that I was a sinner and I needed to be saved by your grace. And it was in that cabin that I asked Jesus to be my savior. 
And when I asked him to be my savior, he came into my heart. I knew something had happened because as soon as I got back home, my younger sister was waiting for me and she was about six at the time and she was so excited to me, Cheryl, you're home. First thing I said to her was, do you have Jesus in your heart? I said it about that lovingly. Do you have Jesus in your heart? She's like, I I don't know. And I said, well, you better because if you don't, you're going to hell. So get on your knees right now and ask Jesus into your heart. She did have to go to counseling later on and just have to deal with that. She had a very transformational change that took place that particular day. Actually, it's funny because later on I was working in the oil industry in Calgary and uh, the girl that I was working through was also going through a very difficult time. I said, we need to meet on our lunch hour. Actually, it was the day after I was filled with the Holy Spirit and she walked into my office and she literally walked in and she went like this, whoa, what happened to you? And I hadn't said anything to her, just the power of what happens when God's spirit, um, when you invite him into your life. And, and I said, I'll meet you at lunchtime at your desk. And so I met her at lunchtime and I shared about how much Jesus loved her and that he would be that one that would stay with her as she goes through some of the difficulties and she could have a relationship and talk to him. And she says, I want that. I said, get on your knees right here at your desk. I have since learned that you don't have to get on your knees to ask Jesus to come into your life. You can actually do it standing up. You can do it sitting down. Amazing. Counsel in God's words. So important. So important. It's huge. This is our lifeline. Do you know that in, in Acts chapter 8, so important, like that whole chapter, I love that entire chapter, but just want to point out when Philip went and he met the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, just by sharing scripture, he shared Jesus to the point that when they saw a body of water, that eunuch said, I need to be baptized. Just by reading scripture. We have that power. We need to know God's word. Hide it in our heart. The counsel of God's word in making decisions, he will give it to us. Amen. The next one is counsel of the Holy Spirit. And really this could be the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 verse 12 to 14 says that he's going to guide us into all truth, not speaking on his own authority. He guides us into some truth? No, he guides us into all truth. He is the ultimate Wi-Fi that never breaks down. We've always got this relationship and communication with him. In Romans chapter 8, he says when he's there for us, when we don't know how to pray as we ought, in our weaknesses, that word weaknesses means our inability to produce results. You and I have an inability to produce results. If I was to say to you this morning, I'd love to introduce you to someone. They are the best prayer partner you could ever ask for. In fact, every time they pray, they pray the perfect will of God. God always hears their prayer. Do you want them as your prayer partner? Maybe, yes. We'll say, hello, Holy Spirit. That's who he is. And he comes to us with an inner witness. And when we don't know how to pray as we ought... And that is, the, that is one of the most important gifts that God has given us. When you pray in tongues, when you pray in the Spirit, it's so much more than an experience. It's praying those mysteries, those things that you do not know in your understanding how to pray for. But He does. And He gives us this inner witness. We like to liken it to a, a traffic light, to the red light, the yellow light, the green light. And I... I point to my spirit because that's where he lives. We're a three-part being. We're spirit, soul, and 
body. We need one of these earth suits to live here. So this is just, this is just the earth suit. This is our mind, will, and emotions. This is where Romans chapter 12 tells us to renew our minds so we can prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That all comes from here. We're constantly renewing our mind to God's word, displacing old ways of thinking or even new ways of thinking. It's what we absorb and what we take and then we let it go through the filter of God's word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. He helps us in that process. So in this inner witness where he dwells in our spirit man, which we want to be in control and in the ascendancy, it's in this place that you can have this red light, this yellow light, or this green light. And in the red light, again, using the example of a relationship, somebody sets you up with somebody and you meet that person and you just have this, oh, something just doesn't feel right. They look great. They're even sounding great, but there's something inside this is like, stop, just this big red light going, this alarm that is going on in the inside. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. That's where he speaks to us. It's that inner witness. The next one is the yellow light. And that yellow light could be someone coming up, again, using the same scenario, someone coming up, and as you go up there, you may just sense that, I, I, I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sure. And I use the area of a relationship, but this could work in any scenario. This works in school. This works in business. This works in your family. This works in decisions that we make constantly, finances. And you just have this sense of, I don't know, this just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. And just like a yellow traffic sign, it's just caution. Be careful. Look around you. And the Holy Spirit's just saying, I'm not saying no, just look at it for, from a few other angles. And then, of course, there's the green light. And the green light is just, oh, this feels so good. just feels so right. And usually when it's a green light, your mind is the one that's saying, this shouldn't be working. This, this shouldn't happen. Th these pieces shouldn't come together this quickly. Or I, I don't know, about the, but your heart is telling you, it's okay. It's going to be okay. And eventually, your mind catches up with your heart. So there's these three ways that we can follow an inner witness, and uh, we can recognize it. The next one, number four, is counsel with due diligence. And due diligence is really just using your head. Do your homework. Write down the pros and cons. Um, is there ever a sense of feeling the... <laughs> God never acts like that. He leads us with peace, right? He doesn't lead us with anxiety. So in any of our decision-making, and by the way, all five of these work together. It's not just one or just the other. It's all of them. And I, we have found over decades this to be true. This, this, just take a step back. Go, you know what? I'm just going to step back. I'm going to do a little bit more due diligence. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper and I'm going to see what's really going on. And then the last one is counsel in divine circumstances. Don't you just love those divine circumstances, those things that should never happen? Never happen. You're no, it's not just by accident. It's trusting the Lord with all of our heart, not leaning to our own understanding. 
We certainly wouldn't be doing what we are doing, and you wouldn't be doing many of the things that you're doing if it wasn't for those divine circumstances, those small little things. When we were, both my husband and I were in the oil industry, he was uh, in his other life, he was a petroleum engineer, <laughs> and, uh, and we were in the oil industry, and he was downtown Calgary going up an escalator, and while he was going up an escalator, down the escalator beside him was a guy that he had gone to high school with, university, hadn't seen him for years, and he was coming down the other side. Now again, like I mentioned, Dave's dad was a pastor, he grew up, so he grew up in a Christian home. This gentleman coming down Len did not grow up in a Christian home, he was not serving God. So they were, they hadn't seen each other forever. They they meet each other, and you know what the first thing Len says to Dave? He goes, Dave, you know Jesus, don't you? And Dave was like, who all heard that? At that time, our Christian faith was, was pretty lukewarm. If you ever saw us pray after church, it looked something like this for our food at a restaurant. Amen. I know, again, none of you have ever done that. The next day, he met Len... The reason I use that illustration is because the next day when he met Len for lunch, Len took his hand and he, said, he came home and he said, Cheryl, he prayed out loud in the restaurant. Jesus, thank you for reconnecting us. Thank you for food. Bless this and bless our time together. And Dave's like, yeah, let go of my hand now. Amen. But it was that divine circumstance that changed everything in our lives. That one encounter on the escalator, because it was Len and his wife that talked to us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, about living in the power of God, that there was so much more that we had never heard about before. And it was at that, because of that chance encounter, that I went from having Jesus just as my Savior, knowing that my name was written in that wonderful Lamb's Book of Life, and that I had an eternal home in heaven. It went from that for Jesus being the Lord of my life. I surrender all. It's not my life. It's yours. Part of today's message of going through the five things in decision-making is this. Is Jesus absolutely the Lord of everything that we do? Is he really number one, or is he our savior? Is he our stamp to get into heaven? He, he's got so much more for each and every one of us. And it happens in these five ways that he can help us and is longing to help us make these decisions. Circumstances don't just happen. And in closing, I'm telling a story very briefly about, about Joseph. Joseph just happened to go have his dad ask him, go check on your brothers. Joseph just happened to go to the field that they were supposed to be at and they weren't and just happened to be wandering around while a stranger said, oh, they aren't here, they're at another field. He just happened, Reuben just happened to hear the story of how his brothers were going to kill him and happened to intervene. A caravan of strangers who were not the ones that the brothers initially thought that they would sell him off to happened to go by. There just happened to be a butcher and a baker in the same jail. jail. There just happened to be a famine that his family needed to come to Egypt and he, where he was uh, second in line. And there just happened to be one of the greatest rulers of the, of the children of Israel, Moses, born in that place. All happened from one thing. A father asking a son, go check on your brothers. That's where it started. 
Don't underestimate the divine circumstances that God puts you in. His hand is all over it. And absolutely everything we do, let's cover it all in prayer. Because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says this. If we pray according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the requests of which we asked. God bless you.